Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff. This is a big one for me. I've gotten to know a lot of great sober people uh, through my journey in sobriety, especially on the other side in nine plus years of sobriety. But there's only one first in life, as we all know. And this guy, Pete, was the first guy I ever knew to get sober personally. And he did it at 17 years old. We'll get into all the gritty details, but he bottomed out before high school was over. And I watched him do whatever it took to get sober, to go to any lengths to get sober in a climate which at this time, not a lot of young kids were getting sober. Now it's a different story. Things have opened up, or many would say things have gotten worse, right, with opioids and things like that. But this guy showed me the way. And he actually lit the way because every time I fell and thought I was having that moment of clarity, I called him. And quickly that moment of clarity clouded up again many, many times until finally it didn't. And once again, he was there. So without further ado, a guy who has been a huge part of my life personally, has helped me with things professionally, and uh, is a guy that I consider family, um, Peter F. But first, Kevin Souza. talking into it yeah you sound you sound really good right. you've got a good voice yes thank for you. this kind I'm of thing great radio face now th- by the way uh, pete is with us today he's the you're the only person that would show up 30 minutes late and then ask for two minutes to meditate well i thought it'd be good to just get centered <laughs> before we got started you know I... a real question now where does that take you that two minutes of meditation because we got in here we've been scrambled kind of all morning you're on the road you're moving from phoenix to philadelphia yeah what's the thought process there just to, just to slow down and um, take a pause, get present where I'm at, forget about all the other stuff that's going on so I can I can just be present and try to tap into whatever whatever God inspiration there is, uh, you know, telling my story, right? Anytime I'm going to do that, uh, I want to make sure that I'm I'm just letting the spirit guide me as opposed to this is how I want to sound or come across and any of that stuff. And then the two minutes helps, helps me get a little more real. Any big moment I kind of have in my life now, I find myself any big moment before I'll be like, oh God, I need you to kind of ride shotgun with me on this. And yeah. it's almost like a, it's a muscle memory to this point. Oh yeah. It's, it's what you learn when you, when you get sober, you know, that's, that's a, big part of it for me and there's been many a time I just whether it's hitting my knees and just saying god I I need some help and and I don't even know um 
sometimes I don't even know exactly what I'm praying to. You know, I'm not exactly super clear on it's a it's a religious figure as 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 much as it's like we talk about in the in the rooms. It's it's just a higher power, and um, it's not me. When did you have your first drink? Well, the you know technically first drink would have been on my dad's lap, you know, as a kid running back and forth from our kegerator to 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 give him a you know to pour him a drink, and he, he wasn't a he was not an alcoholic. He never saw him drunk, but we you know there was alcohol in our house. Um, I think every I think every almost every one of my dad's family had a keg on tap in their house, and that was just part of it, and. So I remember as a kid, my grand, we would keep mugs in the freezer for my mom's dad who'd come over, and I uh, fro- he really loved to drink a beer out of a frosted mug, my, my, my grandfather, Larry. And I used to love to be the, the you know, the, he taught me how to pour a drink and tilt it the right angle so there wasn't a, a head. And I used to love bringing them beers and then, you know, having a sip. So that was the first time I actually tasted alcohol. Um, I think the first time I I drank sort of on my own was I think Robbie and I came and slept over in uh, in like six no maybe it was sixth or seventh grade. We had a keg on tap. My dad had a lock, but I knew how to unlock it, and um, we had a couple beers. And I remember feeling that was the first time I, I probably got a little buzz on. And then the first the first time I drank at a party was uh, a friend of mine, John Rhodes. Parents went away, and we what grade? A seventh grade. I think it was spring of seventh grade. And he had an older sister, and there was you know we, we were you know we 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 snuck some drinks and. You know, I just thought it was, I remember like the next day thinking that was amazing and I'm going to do that every weekend. And it really, yeah, I, I heard someone describe this in, in a, in a, um, in a meeting once, but, and it, and it triggered for me. It, it was the first time I got drunk was like, God came down and kissed me on the brain. It was, it was a, it was a magical experience for me. And my reaction was holy shit, I'm, I'm, I really like that. That is awesome. That is so predictable and repeatable. I'm going to like, this is good. This is totally redefining how I think about my weekends. And, um, and then I think pretty early on, I, I was concerned that I like this more than everyone else. And was my biggest fear was that maybe not that year, but within two years was if I don't slow down, I could turn into an alcoholic and I wouldn't be able to drink anymore. And so it was, it was, it was this idea that if I turn into an alcoholic, then I'll just, I'll have to stop drinking and I'll have to miss this thing. That's the most dependable, predictable thing in my life. Um, so early on it was, it was pretty, it was pretty emotional. Uh, it was like an emotional connection, I would <laughs> yeah, say. Spiritual experience. And I would also say that as a kid, I was pretty, I was, I mean, we'll get into my story. I was pretty much a 
an after school special. I mean, well, I, I you were, you were, I mean, I have experience uh, because yeah. you're, you're a big part of my life. I, to give people a background, you know, Pete and I grew up, I mean, you grew up right behind campus of Villanova University. Yeah. I, I believe really one of the first times we met, I know we probably played Little League together, but I mean, was it a keg party? Was that, you know, your your uncle, um, that family, what, what was a huge part of Villanova? Yeah. And I, I know it was that they had these awesome keg parties. Villanova basketball players were there. I met Gary McLean yeah. at your uncle's house, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when I met you. And you were like a good time back then. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. you, were, you always had a big smile and you're this gregarious guy. And it was like, this guy is fun. That's That's what you brought. Like, this guy is a lot of fun. Yeah, I would say that that was, you know, that that was a great house, my aunt's house. It was my grandfather's. My dad grew up there, and and my grandfather, I think, started the tradition of parties at uh, right next to campus, parties after Villanova football games. And then my 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 uncle played football there, and my aunt and uncle would have keg parties at after the games. And my mom knew your uncle from back in Villanova. Yeah, yeah. and so I grew up around a lot of parties and, and never really saw, there was never um, anything negative or inappropriate or bad about it. I mean, it was, you know, my, my, my aunts and uncles and parents were, were social drinkers, but they loved to have a good time. And so I would say that in life, as I came up, I never felt like I wasn't like the, the straight A plus student that was, you know, set his sights on Harvard. I was a mediocre athlete. I was not going to be an all American with a full ride. And in my mind, I, I'm, you know, was very at that time, very kind of ex- like black or white, like, you know, the things that mattered for your self-esteem for me growing up was, am I going to be, am I identifying as a student? Am I going to be the number one athlete? And it was no on two of those. And the third was like, well, can I show up at a party and have a good time? And it was it was like a full body yes. And I was I loved hanging out with older kids at parties, at family parties, older cousins, and and then uh, when when I introduced alcohol, it was I mean I feel like I could go in any situation socially and be the life of the party. Um, and that was pretty empowering and, 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 uh, and felt good, frankly. I mean, that was, that was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be good at this. One, one second. Mike, I think, I think your mic is up. Cause I can hear you clicking. Is that it? Okay. There you go. Okay. No problem. No problem. <laughs> it was fine. Um, so tell me how your life became, you touched on it being an after school special. How does it, how does it devolve into an after school special? I, I don't know. I think there's a couple things that set me up for it. Um, when I was real little, uh, my dad got sick with cancer and uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister. So my first two or three years, you know, I don't, I, I think I was shuffled around a lot and uh, to like aunts and uncles. Um, I just remember being at my first memory of like a real, sort of painful experience was visiting. I was with my, my grandmother and my aunt. We went down to the hospital, like chop or pen or whatever, wherever my dad was, he's in the hospital. And I remember visiting him 
and we were going to see Santa, get our picture taken with Santa, and we stopped to see him first. And I remember feeling like they're not telling me, but he's about to die, and that this is my farewell to him for some reason. I remember getting really upset, and and um, and that wasn't the case. But he was, he was, it was like he was sick. I don't really have many memories of it other than that. And then he he was in remission. And he was told he had six months to live. I was a little kid. My mom was pregnant. So it was, it was a pretty intense. I can imagine how intense the the, the home life was there. And um, and then he got better. And we went on a trip to Hilton Head. And and like that's like where I start remembering life. And and there was always how old were you at this time? You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think. Um, five, six, maybe by the time he kind of came out of it. And I, I, there was always this feeling for me growing up that, you know, the other shoe was going to drop and he could get sick at any time. And that, that was very, um, scary or, or just, you know, kind of a non-stable feeling that I had. And then, um, and then I remember, as I think about like putting the pieces together, like what set me up for 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 what was what I'm about what I'm about to share was that you know there was that both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. My my parents would say um, your middle name is Ortlieb. That's yeah, a, that's so a, that's a beer. So yeah, so my my dad that was the other thing. My dad's family owned a brewery from 1869 to you know the 1970s, I think. So it was not in the family by the time I was born, but it was a big part of my dad's growing up. Um, my yeah, my, I'm named the the beer was called Ortlieb's. That's my middle name. So even as a kid, like first day of school, they they're running through the roster, Peter Ortlieb Flick, and and they're like, so like were your parents really big partiers? Like did they name you after a beer? And <clears throat> it would always get chuckles and. It was kind of a, a source of, uh, it was definitely a source of pride in the family. Like that, that business really um, accommodated a, a, a certain lifestyle in our, in, in, you know, in families, in, in like past generations and stuff. And so I, um, you know, my dad never worked in that. And by the time we came along, it was kind of long gone and, 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 you know, did not, um, was not producing anything for the family, but it was a, um, I remember being a kid so young that I was scared to sleep on the third floor. And my nightlight was an Ortlieb's beer sign that I found in the attic. And I, I was fascinated with beer. Like I had beer pictures on the wall and, and, you know, my mom hated it. And my dad was like, it's, you know, it's family, it's part of the family stuff. And so they were always a little bit, you know, um, had, had maybe some different experiences, but I would later, I did not know it at the time. I would hear great stories about my grandfathers, how fun they were and, 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 and how they would kind of get into trouble here and there. Um, but, but really kind of strong personalities. And I, I think I, you know, like I love those stories. I was just, you know, I remember in seventh grade seeing the movie animal house and being like, that is what I, I I tried to convince friends in seventh grade we should have a toga party and they were like, we haven't even hit puberty yet. Like I don't, I don't think I'm down with that. And uh, and so I was I was just drawn to that 
sort of um, energy, if you will. And um, and then when I experienced, so I was I, the pump was prime before I, I I even picked up like a drink really. And once once it started, it was it was definitely off to the races. Seventh grade and and um, you know by eighth grade. I'd gotten into some, you know, some trouble, you know, took the car out when I wasn't, you know, before I had a license and things like that. So even when you're not quote unquote drunk, you're still acting yeah, out. Yeah, I'm acting out and I'm, I'm, um, you got that ism. Yeah, totally. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be good at like being social and like doing what I want. And that's going to be my thing because, and, and frankly, it was because I didn't think I could be as successful as I, as I felt I needed to be in other areas. And I was just looking for something to be good at and it was misguided. And, you know, I was, I was an impulsive, you know, undisciplined kid for sure. You know, my parents did a great job. Um, You have awesome parents. You know, it had nothing to do with, with really their parenting. I was just, I don't care who you are. Like you tell me that I can't do something. I was, if I wanted to do it, I was going to do it. And, um, and it was just a very, I mean, I remember going to my oldest, one of my older cousins graduations, we would, we would go to their college graduations and we're up at Amherst and, uh, I'm so excited cause I'm thinking I'm in gonna, Massachusetts. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to get to drink. How and old were you? I was, uh, I was in probably summer going into eighth grade. Okay. And, um, if I ever look at that, that's just for time. So don't yeah, worry about it. And I'm up there and I think about this because it was just such a kind of red flag. And it, it's it's like 10 o'clock and, you know, I'm like, they're going to my parents are going to leave and I can hang out with my older cousins. And so it's 10 and the parents are leaving and I'm like, I'm staying. And my cousin, my cousin said, no way, no way is he staying here. And so they take me back home with them and I am I'm crying literally having a temper tantrum. So I was, I was so young, but it was, it was like, I was so upset. I was, I was so upset that I couldn't stay and do this. And, um, and then, you know, fast forward to eighth grade or going into high school. Um, you know, I get this idea to, uh, to build a speakeasy in the woods, you know, to, to sort of have parties in. And Which becomes a success. <laughs> well, it, was, it was a short success, but it's a great story. It was a it's a funny story, and so I'm, uh, you know, I was at a, I was at camp. I was at a summer camp in New Hampshire, and I'm looking all summer at just how the cabins built, and and I'm thinking, when I get back, I could build one of these cabins, and we could have parties and like casino nights, and it would just be an epic way to go into high school. And so I, uh, I get back and I start like casino night. drawing plans, you know, it was like Harlem night meets like, I don't know what, you know, I was, I was really envisioning it. And, um, so I get, uh, I get Matt, Matt Pierce and Paul O'Connor and, uh, we start, that was the crew. Two and of our guys from back. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And we had this great, found this great little piece of land, like right behind our houses that was, uh, you know, it just no one would know. And and so we start building this thing and Matt Pierce builds houses. Now, now. He, he's a builder, yeah, yeah. 
And so we build this this two story shack with drywall, like cement footers, cedar shingles, and and uh, and then you know word got out to some kids, and they're they're starting to contribute materials. I mean, we didn't buy any of the materials, so we we had this little routine where my uh, one of my cousins would come up, come up at like twelve thirty, you know, after you know midnight. Um, it would come down the street with his lights off. We convinced him. He was like a really good kid. And we just convinced him to uh, help us transport lumber. And he'd, we, we'd sneak out of our houses in all black, get in the car. He'd drive to some job site where something's getting built. And we'd, uh, we'd put together a bunch of wood. And he'd come back and we'd load his Suburban and drop it off at the, the place. And he's then, older than you. Yeah, he's older. <clears throat> so the manipulation starts early. Yeah. And uh, and we and then we would get up in the morning at like 6 a.m. and start building. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting story because that's like, to me, it was an example of something that I got really, you know, I used vision. I, you know was convincing people to do it. It was, yes, it was misguided and, and, you know, we were stealing wood, Um, but we were getting up early, working hard, like figuring out how do we build this? How do we do this? And it felt really like the whole thing felt great. Like it was fun to sneak out. It felt like we were like in the military, you know, like that as a kid, like that type of stuff seemed a lot more interesting than just being home and like doing the, like reading the summer book that someone told me to read and, and doing homework. And so we, you know, first, first weekend of high school, we have this party and, you know, I feel like I'm on top of the world. You know, I just feel like I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. A lot of people show up. Yeah. There's a bunch of older kids showing up and I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I didn't hit puberty until like sophomore year. So I'm, I'm like a, 105 pounds as a freshman in in high school I was 205 by senior year so I was a total late bloomer and I'm having this party and you know with with these other guys and we uh we go home and then we sneak out again and my mom catches us and uh my dad takes me takes me uh, he wakes me up in the morning he's like you need to take they knew we were building a fort they didn't know anything else um and they just thought, ah, oh, it's great that they're doing a Ford. And and we, uh, he walks me, I walk him over to where it is. It's, you know, it was like two miles from our house. And we kind of come through the woods. The sun's coming through the trees, the smoke of the fire. And he sees the house. And, and we, I grew up building a lot of stuff with my dad. And he sees the house and, and he just, he like puts his arm around me and he's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And then we had to tear it, we had to tear it down, and that was the end of it. But um, but it was like that was, you know, that was where my energy went. It's I mean, in the name of getting fucked up. I mean, all this energy, everything you're putting in your there's excitement. It's it's yeah. amazing. People say the alcoholic mind is brilliant in a lot of cases, you know, and it's it's resourceful. Yeah, I mean, for it, sure. it was just yeah. resourceful. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I remember being in class in high school thinking like. I could build a, you know, like drawing things of things I could build. Like I could build a shelf in my room with like a bar hidden behind it. And then I'm like, but I can't do that because if I actually filled it with alcohol, I'd drink it all. And so like there was a lot of energy and thought around that. Just just drinking and, you know, when am I – and that's how it started. And then I would say 
you know, that was sort of like the 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 honeymoon phase, you know, maybe the first two years. And, th- and then things got, you know, they progressed in a way where it was it was then waking up feeling like, what did I do? I know I offended someone. I know, you know, the, the feeling that, you know, that, and we're talking about high school still. I mean, yeah, cause yeah. you got like sober, seven, seventh, eighth you got grade, sober yeah. early. So you're having these sophomore, your, junior your year. progression is quicker than most. Um, and it it's was, a story that's a lot, a lot of young people can relate to today in a sense where people are getting, are, are bottoming out earlier because of whether it's the drugs out there or whether it's just, this culture, whatever you want to call it, that story wasn't being told too often when you were living it. it the young people getting sober. I mean, there was like, yeah. what? What's going on? You know? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'd say it, I mean, I mean, there were some drugs in my story, but it was mostly drinking, and it was, um, it was mostly drinking till maybe junior year, and when I met you, <laughs> it, got, it got a lot, yeah. it got very advanced very quickly, but it was, it was, yeah. I mean, I was running a hundred miles an hour into a wall is, is really what was going on. And I don't know. I mean, in, in now I'm, I'm very grateful that I, I kind of bottomed out early. I was, I was funny. I was talking to our friend Bart and uh, as we're moving back and, our, you know, he's helping facilitate some introductions to some schools. I'm like, Hey man, our, my kids are not, you know, just to be clear, they're not <laughs> they're like, like me. me. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you just had a bad 18 month run. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, the alcoholic in you is like, pretty, yeah, maybe pretty bad. But, but to your point in terms of examples, um, I mean, the, the way it kind of went for me is drinking was, was fun and powerful and predictable. And then it, and then it stopped working. And then it became really a job. And then it 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 became a real source of shame and and guilt and and a lot of I'm not gonna drink today. And then I start drinking. And you know, I'm on I'm on uh my third high school in three years. Cause I got kicked out of one. I I left another and 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 ended up at a at a great all boys Catholic school outside of Philadelphia that um you know, really that, and that's when I kind of met you, like kind of hung out with a different crew. And I think for me where it really fell off a cliff was I I sort of trace it back to meeting you, you guys were a year ahead. So Mm. you were, you were seniors. So it was kind of your farewell tour. I was a junior. I mean, and that's all I was doing at that point. I mean, that for, for me, all intents and purposes is that time in my life led to my, my heart, a problem, really. Yeah. I mean, because uppers, downers, whatever we get our hands on. I mean, it was like we were just running out of control because I had discovered these prescription drugs, which I thought was like discovering plutonium. I mean, I was, I'm taking this stuff before I go to school. I'm flying high and I'm like, I got to show people this stuff. I'm like, Pete, yeah. like, you got to take this. And, we, and, and so that led to, and you know, you had the kegerator on hand at your house. We would go up on your third floor <laughs> take a couple Percocets and have four beers and watch Villanova play UConn and they win the Big East tournament. And I was like, it can't get any better than this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that, that was when, I mean, you had gotten a scholarship, you were going to Richmond, like, you know, you were, you were all set and, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm a junior year. I'm supposed to be buckling down and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> taking SATs and, and visiting colleges and, 
and I remember you, you introduced me to Percocets and I'm like, all right. And like, we, we start going every time we go out to a party, we realize we can just go up to go to the parents' bathroom and they probably have a ton of old Percocets from two surgery, you know, two years ago. And that, that, that literally took me down to a really dark place within 90 days, I would say. I mean, may, maybe 100, 100 days. And we had friends that were like, you know, and these, we're not talking about angels. They were like, hey, what are, what are you guys doing with this stuff? You know, yeah. like, like not good. And, and I, was, I was long gone too by that point. Yeah, I mean, I would say just, just to, to give a sense of how, how bad it got, how quickly for me, we probably started hanging out. I think the first time we sort of re-hung out at a party was like Halloween of your senior year. And by, you know, by the, by prom time, you know, I was severely depressed and I didn't, I was so depressed and, and struggling. Like I, I didn't, I was like, I'm not, I never asked to be here was kind of how I felt like in life. I didn't even take my junior year exams. I mean, I, I just had completely sort of, uh, I was like, I can't, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do anything. I mean, it was not, it was a short, I mean, it was like a quarter of funness. And then pretty quickly, even the guys we were hanging out with, I think were, I was feeling like, um, like I couldn't tell them everything I was doing. Well, and you know, today, and that's the difference between today in our time today, you and I become heroin addicts, and we probably die. Probably. I mean, that's there was no. I mean, we fortunately didn't have access to heroin, no, cocaine. No. Well, I mean, and and all that, all those, you know, the opioid scene was not as big as it Molly, was. Molly, yeah. that wasn't around. No. For, for and our group, and now kids are taking, you know, um, they're taking what you call it, like uh, oxycotton's, and then they can't, they can't get those anymore because they run out or they run out yeah. of money, and then. The heroin's the next, the next, well, and, and we would have done it if it was there. I mean, we were that, it just wasn't said, there. I never yeah. said no. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd take, I'd take it and say, what did, what did I just take? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm super fortunate that, 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 um, I mean, I, I just had no ability to make decisions or, or think about anything other than the moment. There was a lot of, you know, I mean, there's some mental health stuff going on, I think. And, um, you know, and that we don't know which is which, right? Until you're yeah, sober. You don't. You really yeah. don't. Which I mental mean, health yeah, a, lot of the mental, a lot of the mental health stuff cleared up when I got yeah, sober. Right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people have legitimate mental health stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, it was like junior year, things got really bad. And uh, I was not in a good headspace. And I just, I sort of stopped, opted in for, for school. And, um, and so my parents were very concerned. I'm seeing a therapist and I remember asking the guy, Hey, you know, do you think, I remember building up the courage, like I'm going to ask him next session if he thinks I'm an alcoholic. And I did. And he said, no, I don't think so. And I was like, great. And I remember another time, like I'd get really down about like, dude, I think I might have a problem here. And I remember sitting with you on like a Tuesday night at the Iron Gate, <laughs> being like, "Seuss, like I'm like I'll have a water." Uh, the Iron Gate was a bar in Havertown. Yeah, that we we you know we we will get. Like into I tell it. my mom, I'm like I'm going to study at Nangle's house or something, and and like we'd go I'd and have get her hammered minivan. I'd have her minivan, and it was a disaster. I mean, I think 
like God had to be looking out for us because there was no caution um, exercise in any way. And we would get hammered and then, you know, do stupid stuff. And, um, and I remember being hung over in like math, like algebra class, like, like super hung over. Um, Cause I come home, I could, I could hide it super well. I mean, it was just very easy to hide. I, I could have a ton of beers and because well, you and I were the same, those big personalities. Yeah. So you'd come home, as long as you didn't stink, To like I would smoke weed and come home. It didn't really, you never knew what you were going to get out of us, even today, right? So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. that's back then, they were yeah, like, yeah. oh, he's just being himself. Yeah, yeah. But I remember asking you, like, Pete, I think I think I might be an alcoholic. And and like, like that's like the worst thing to do. Like, like convince your alcoholic, ask your alcoholic friend to convince you you're not an alcoholic. And you're like, dude, I don't think you are. I'm like, all right, I'll have a beer, you know. <laughs> and so it was, it was really short lived. And I remember most nights ending where everyone else is going to bed, and I'm like, I'm, I could go for another twelve hours, bummed out that the party just ended, and, you know, it was, I was always, I did something to offend, you know, to upset someone, I broke something, or you know, I whatever, fell down, and and. Yeah, so just a lot of, you know, you don't feel good about what you do, you know, like like our, like uh, Mr. Hayden used to say, nothing good happens after midnight, and and amen to that, like nothing good ever happened for me after midnight, and so there were some, there was always funny stories that that you know we could tell, and so there was there the camaraderie of of, of yeah. buddies and. Oh my gosh, this is what I did. You know, this is what happened last night. I remember one time I I, I had this idea that um, it would be super fun to just fire off flares down 21st Street in Avalon, like like 4th of July. And there was a boat in someone's driveway. I'm like, there's probably flares in there. So I sneak in through the uh, canvas and I'm in there to look and I, I just pass out. I wake up the next morning. They're getting in their car, towing their boat, and I jump out <laughs> and run back to the Hayden's house, which was like my home base. And uh, you know, it was a funny story to tell, like uh, you know, and and I I sort of, you know, I guess felt felt like all right, that's that's me, that's my deal, and um, it was, I think it, it kind of ended that year with me, you know, we were in a shore house together, I was up for two days straight drinking you shaved your head shaved my yeah i got like asked steve buno gave me a mohawk and i thought that was cool and then it, then he shaved my head right yeah punched a window go to the hospital i to go get i go Were i go you with, with me yeah, yeah i went to the the uh the nba finals run in this uh it was houston orlando and uh, i remember you this doctor looked like keanu reeves <laughs> I vaguely, I vaguely remember. You, you kept going, Keanu, Keanu. <laughs> and then your dad eventually showed yeah, up. Yeah, so my dad, yeah. my poor dad comes down and to pick me up at a hospital in the in the Jersey Shore. And I didn't know, I didn't know um, what year it was or who the president was. So they give me a CAT scan. And um, I think I had got, had a concussion and he comes in. And he's like, you know, my dad is just pretty, pretty dad, easy yeah. going. Mm -hmm. And he's like, um, thank you. Thank you for taking care of him. And 
just a question like did you did you have to shave his head for the cat scan and they're like sir he came in that way and he's like oh okay <laughs> and so you know he you know he drove me up i'm licking my wounds and and uh very and, scary time for them i mean oh a oh, horrible time for them i mean you know what i put them through i mean I, they were like you're grounded and and i'd say okay well i'm gonna go cut someone's lawn and they're like all right well you're allowed to work and i went to a dead show in dc and lost my friends and had to hitchhike home um you know and that was like you're supposed to be back in an hour after cutting grass like there was nothing they could do and i think they were afraid to you know really lay down the hammer and so it was it was um it was not a good situation what i learned later is you know they both grew up with alcoholic dads and and no one ever talked about it and um and it was you know they were functioning and and i i think at that time my understanding is no one in the family would have said they were alcoholics um and and what i would later learn when when we get to that part of the story is um i think it was really painful for them because i was acting not exactly like their dads did but i think there was they saw the base similar behavior and i think it was just i think it was probably opening some wounds for them which you know super you know, sorry that I did that. But, um, but I remember a couple just getting back to your point of like, Hey, there weren't really examples of people getting sober. And there was two things that happened that were, were really pivotal in high school. Um, one was I'm at, I get, I go down a top 205 lacrosse camp with a couple buddies and I have, I have fake. What's, what's top 205? Like? Oh, it's like, uh, it was like supposed to be like the like the the best 205 players yeah but it was you just signed up i was not the best i was not one of the best 205 players but that's what it was supposed to be is uh -huh. good branding and so you go down loyola and, and it's but it was a lot of you know recruit it was a big recruiting sort of event and i was um in no shape to be i mean i didn't even take my exams the school was like like i just the school's like you need to take your exams the beginning of senior year um and we're, we know you're having some some mental health issues or they didn't know what was going on, but we know you're struggling, you're depressed. So we're going to give you a little leeway here, um, but you're going to have to do it and, and you can work this summer on it. OK, so like I am not firing on all cylinders. <laughs> I go down to the camp and I have a fake ID. So I buy a bunch of um, booze, like hard liquor. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, this will be fun. You know, we can drink a little at night and. And I, um, I'm, I, I just end up in full blown alcoholic mode where I don't even go to most of the games. I'm just staying, staying in the room drinking. And that was the first time where I was like, holy shit, this is like, th it wasn't even fun. It was like, this is a job and I am totally incapable of sort of any imposing any structure on myself at this time. I'm, I'm, I'm probably 17 at the time. And, um, I go down to call my mom at, uh, from the payphone. This was before cell phones. And there's a bank of pamphlets and there's a, are you an alcoholic pamphlet? And I see it and I'm like, Oh shit, I got it. I got, I got if I don't look at it, I'm basically saying it. And it was the 20 questions. And, um, I had a lot of yeses to those questions. And and based on the test, it was clear that that test said I was an alcoholic. 
Now, I would have said most of my friends would have answered yes to those questions. <laughs> and so I was not so sure, but I, but I, it planted a seed. And then another time, I remember I was a sophomore in high school, and they had a speaker come to school who had gotten in a drunk driving accident. He was in a wheelchair. He killed someone. And he, I think, was sober. I think he was sober at the time. And um, so those two moments, those were the only concepts that I ever had of, like, alcoholic. Like, I never knew anyone that was an alcoholic, as far as I knew. And I didn't know anything else about it, anything. But I was, um, I was very focused on, like, I've got a problem. I knew there was a problem. And I knew it was an it was a matter of time. Like I was holding on to kind of keep it somewhat together, and it was not together. And then fast forward to the fall of my senior year of high school, and this is then we can start talking about the good stuff because this this is not the. I mean, there's some funny stories here, but it's yeah. really just a sad, sad thing. The end is a kid has for for, for most of us. Yeah, you know? the kid has to go through that in high school. Um, and uh, and so it's October, you know, at, where at this point, all my friends were mostly a year ahead of me are all off at college doing their thing. And um, and and my alcoholism is really sort of like it is there. It's there's nothing fun about it at this point. Drink, it, it just I'm not even feeling the way I used to feel when I drank. And um, it was a Saturday. It was Villanova's homecoming. So I, I decided to walk over and I'm like. There was a couple guys, Murph, and and uh, I don't know. There was a couple people home from college, and I uh, I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll walk. I had nothing to do that day. I'm like, I'll walk over to Villanova's homecoming and maybe like join the party there and have have a couple drinks and and uh, well, that area we grew up in. It's the fall, pro- you know. Yeah, it's the fall. Right? It's also. like what? Be- oh, let's go. Let's have a couple drinks. It's the but it's like so yeah. alcoholic. Like I'm going yeah. alone, right? Like what the <laughs> fuck is that about? And uh, my parents were like, Al, it's like it's like ten o'clock on a Saturday morning. I um I make a gin and tonic. I'm walking over there, drinking. I get there and I'm like, you know, and I don't even feel like, like I don't even know anyone here. I, so I walk back and I'm, I'm walking across the fe- the Mendel Field of Villanova, and I look up and I I see like just the top of the church steeple, there are two crosses on the steeple, and I'm like, I don't know, I was just overcome by this feeling that like there's like there's a God and like He's got me. It was very odd for me to be thinking about that really to be honest um and uh it was a it was a fleeting moment of but it was very and i remember thinking like that's sort of odd that i'm feeling this and thinking that and um that night there was a bunch of guy a bunch of folks to home and and they're all at the uh roach and o'briens we're all we're, we're there all day watching football drinking and i'm there with my sister and so there's high school kids, college kids, whatever. And that night, we I get the idea like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we all took LSD? And so I I uh, I call someone and I I get six hits of LSD, and I go to pick up Murph. I I took like I think I took two right away, which was and I only done that once before. So 
And they're like, it's really strong, so be careful. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And um, I get to Murph's, and he's like, I'm like, do you want to do it? He's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so I take. Because he take, had to go home. I take all six. I take all six. And um, long story short, end up in intensive care at, at Bryn Mawr Hospital. Horrible night. Um, and I. Uh, I'm, I'm, at one point, I guess I was choking on, I was throwing up and choking, and my sister was trying to help me, and uh, I almost bit her finger off without, you know, kind of gag reflex. So anyways, I wake up the next morning. I'm in intensive care. I'm chained to the bed. They give, they give you that charcoal it. treatment, Yeah, right? charcoal's all over me. I've got tubes. I'm, I'm, they've got restraints so I don't rip out the tubes my feet and arms are I'm like, it feels like I'm on the cross and the the nurses put the tv on and the pope is in Baltimore saying mass and uh, it's 1995 and I've never felt just so horrible and that night in addition to everything that goes along with six hits of LSD and a lot of alcohol um I mean, it was, it was a, um, I, I, I woke up from a different person and, um, I remember sitting there thinking that night I was kind of coming out of it and just like, I don't want to hurt my parents anymore. I don't want to hurt my sister anymore. Like I can't do this any, like I'm done. And there, it, for, there was a shift and like their love for me became more important. And I guess my, in turn, my love for them became more important than just this. I, I got out of this, like, just self-centered um, loop that I was in, right? This kid loop, this, this growing up loop that I was in. And um, my parents came in and said, you know, we think you have a drug problem. And I remember that would have been easy to say. I mean, that was obvious. Um, the question was, do I hold on to alcohol and do I say, yes, it's just a drug problem. And I thought back to those 20 questions. I thought back to that, that speaker. And I said, I remember saying, I got an alcohol problem too. And that, that was very hard for them to, I think, acknowledge because, you know, there were times where they, you know, they felt, I think they felt like they contributed to some, some acceptance around alcohol. Well, yeah, all of a sudden they're culpable, which is bullshit. I mean, yeah. if you got it, you got it, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I get out of there. I go see, they take me to see a uh, counselor, this guy, Hank Corcoran, who I don't know if you know. Oh, I, I yeah. talked to Hank. Yeah, yeah. Hank was awesome, right? So he, was, he had gone to my high school. He was a much older guy, right? And he's a drug and alcohol counselor. He played hoops, right? He played hoops, I think, at Nova. At Villanova, uh, yeah, yeah. Big guy, like six seven, mm -hmm. like 60-year-old guy. So I go in to see him a week after getting out of the hospital. And uh, I had had a seizure that night in the hospital, so I can't drive. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I had... All be I hadn't become completely well. Two things happened actually. I uh, I told my parents I got a problem. They said, "Okay, we're going to go see a, a we're going to get you help, and we're going to go see a drug and alcohol counselor." I go see him, and I and I'm I'm completely honest with him. And he says, "Listen, if you if you drink again, you're telling your family you need to go to rehab." 
And I remember, I remember actually wanting to go to rehab and being afraid to ask. And then the other thing that happened is um, Mr. Hayden heard about what had happened, and he calls me over. This is one of our best friend's dads who is just a... And I was always really, I was always really close to him and and always was, you know, I I like pretty much lived at their house at the shore. And he's a character, you're a character. It was a match made. We we would have had a great time if we were both uh, drinking, but I was always super honest with him about what I did the night before. And he was always sort of blown away by that. He loved that. That's why he liked me too. If you told him, we told him we drank and he was like, okay, like we got somebody who's not full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so he calls me over and I, I, I tell him, I give him every, I give him the whole deal. And he's like, holy shit. And so he, he says, I got someone, you know, he just loves helping people, right? He's like, I got someone who I want you to meet and I want your parents to come. And so he sets up this, this, what you would call an intervention, but it was one that I, I knew was coming. So it was kind of a, someone to tell their story. So he, he says, I got this guy, Mo who was Tony's um, Tony's basketball coach. And he says, um, I'm going to have him come over and, and, and talk to you and bring your parents. So I set, I set this and, and my parents were like friendly, but not super close with, 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 with the Haydens. And so it's a, it's a fall night, rainy night. We go to their house in Gladwin, uh, which is like a nice, real nice suburb and we uh we get there and it's it's just it's mr hayden and and our family and we're waiting for mo to get there mo gets there so most basketball legend played hoops at maryland with john lucas yeah so also had a drug problem yeah black guy like so mo walks in it was the day of the million man march in dc he had gone to dc to march took a train up and shows up here at, you know, whatever, eight o'clock at night, seven thirty. And uh I remember he had a he had a big book with him. And he he's thinking he's coming in and tell his story. And and so he comes in and he tells his story. And he does not his story, you know, to everyone else in the room is probably like I mean, it was extreme, right? He 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 I think he grew up I remember like pretty poor black neighborhoods, really good hoops player, went to Maryland, went to the NBA and and then sort of failed, you know, his life fell apart because of drugs and alcohol and and then he has gotten sober. So he's telling this story of all this stuff and I'm looking around and I could tell everyone else is like, oh my like why are we listening to this story? Like I, I can tell my parents are thinking this is this is not apples to apples and like why are we listening to this? You know, he I think he on some really hardcore drugs and and uh i'm i'm just i'm listening and i'm just like i can't relate to all the details but i can relate to how you're feeling and how you're telling the story and i then tell my story like for the first time in with no filter and it was a long night and uh you know everyone's crying mr hayden's handing out tissues and he's sitting there you know, kind of loving the whole like just emotional experience and it's kind of classic. And I remember we laughed and Mo's like, we're like, what do you think I need to do? And he's like, I think you need to go to rehab. And I'm like, I'm like thinking, yes, like I, I just want to, I want to get away from everyone. I want to just, 
And I figured I'd go to rehab and they just heal me and I'd be done. I'd be, it'd be perfect. And my, my, I remember leaving my family. It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. You know, I mean, it's pretty, pretty public, right. To go leave high school. And, and, you know, I never knew anyone. That it's, and it that. was a completely different climate than it is today. Yeah. Completely. Like I didn't know anyone and I'd been to three high schools. Yeah, so a lot like, of kids, a lot, of, a lot of kids end up going to rehab today. Yeah, they do. And so what had happened is they're like, all right, if you drink again, you know, then, then rehab's the deal. And I, I remember it was like one weekend, I think I hung out with maybe you and some other guys and I didn't, I didn't drink. And they're like, how was it? And I'm like, it was horrible. And I was at school. I was at Richmond. Okay, so I was so hearing, all, I was yeah. hearing all about this. So yeah. yeah. Cause we would talk still. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, um, it was, it was homecoming my, and my, our house was completely clear of any alcohol, no posters that could resemble. I mean, I came back from, from that hospital and like, it was just barren and I'm like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to drink one last time and then they're going to send me to rehab and I'll be healed. And, uh, I go to, um, and and this is an example of like alcoholism. There was no alcohol in the house, and there was uh, a bottle, a big bottle of scope, like mouthwash that I had heard had alcohol, and I I pound the whole thing, and we go out, and I'm I'm at this dance. Did, did you get drunk from it? You know, I I don't know if like I got in the car right away and started drinking. So I, I don't know. I can't really attribute it, but I tell you what was different about it is I was I was. Uh, I was supposed to go to the dance and come home and I go to the dance. I'm like, I'm not going home. I'm going to, I'm going to have one last blowout night. I call my parents. They're super worried and kind of, I think in contact with other kids there to sort of shepherd it. And, um, I, and I'm just telling, I remember telling people like, dude, this is the last night I'm going to drink. Like I'm done. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you know, I, I was just, it was different. There was, it was a different night. And then towards the end of the night, I was like, I don't want to stop. And I, I come rolling home at like seven in the morning. My uh, my mom called her brother. He's there at the house, and I'm trying. I, I, now it's 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 the end. Of I mean, the he's end. no nonsense, dude, Jerry. Well, this is a different brother. This is my okay. mom's brother, Uncle John. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And okay. um, and, uh, and he's there, and I remember I'm like, okay, I I don't want to stop. Cause I know if I stop, like this is my last drink in my mind, and uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to ar- get in an argument with him so he leaves, and I can go down the basement because I think there's, I think they've hid something down there. Which now that I think about it, they wouldn't, they, it was all gone. And um, anyways, there's, there's a big emotional sort of blow up, and and he's just, and I didn't know it, but at the time they're upstairs packing, coordinating me going to the Karen Foundation, which is a rehab. And the next day, um, they tell me that night we're going to Karen tomorrow. I think they thought I would flee, but I was like, I'm like, great. <laughs> I, I don't. And um, so they drive me up there the next morning. I'm 17. And it's so funny how it's changed. Like, I'm thinking that I'm going to um, – like go there and start lifting weights and like, they're going to just heal me and like, it's going to be super healthy. And, and so, and they're like, they're like, yeah, we don't have a gym, but, um, 
and it's totally different now. But they're like, but pick up a carton of cigarettes because we let the kids have eight smoke breaks a day. And so, which is insane, right? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going into an adolescent unit, right? And this is how early it was, right? So I get in this adolescent unit, which was fantastic. You're I mean, 17, right? I'm 17. I'm old. Yeah. It's 13 to 18. And then if you're 18 and above, you go across the street. So I'm in this group and I'm like, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm kind of feeling like, what am I doing here? I mean, a lot of these kids had some totally different upbringings and maybe some, some got in trouble with like the law. And I didn't really have that as part of my story. And I get there and, um, and you know, it's like, yeah, we got eight smoke breaks a day. We're doing rehab stuff. And, and, um, and like the first week I, I remember someone came in and, uh, you know, it was cool. Aerosmith had been through there, and which I think is very public. And they had they had donated, donated a ton stuff. Of money, and, yeah, you know, it's like rag. You know, so it was like it was kind of like I'm trying to figure out like what and is this? Am I like is this like jail or is this like <laughs> is this like um, you know? I know it's not Harvard. <laughs> like, I mean, like like what kind of like how do I like is this a good thing or what is this and um. So, you know, something happened. I mean, I kind of went in there being like with the mindset, like I want to get better. Like I, I, I don't really know what's on the other side of this. And it was a very scary. It's very scary when you get to the point where you can't imagine drinking anymore and you can't imagine not drinking. You know, like I didn't have like I didn't have this thing that I felt was really my best friend and the most reliable thing. But I was in a safe place where I knew I wasn't going to be tempted. Um and, uh, you know, so it's senior year, I'm leaving, I leave high school for a month and I'm up there and, uh, you know, a guy came in, uh, there was a meeting, they, they would bring AA meetings in and, you know, this guy said, you know, if you're serious about this, you'll go and you'll, you'll, even if you don't believe in God, you'll hit your knees tonight and you'll at, you'll thank God for keeping you sober today or your higher power, whatever you want to call it. And then you'll get on your knees in the morning and ask them to help you tomorrow and then do the same thing just twice every day. And I remember going back to my room, I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I was very fearful of getting on my knees in front of a roommate and being judged, I guess, which is kind of funny that I'm ending up in rehab and I'm worried about being judged <laughs> by someone else in rehab. But Sounds about right. You know, so I, but I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And I, I get on my knees and, um, and I didn't know what I was, you know, I didn't know what I was at, who I was at praying to, or did, did, did that thing care about me? But I just did it. And I felt a little bit better. And there was just a ton of support from, like, I still have, I still somewhere have letters that I got in rehab from all sorts of people. I mean, like, I, th I think the, co the coach of the football team was like, they were winning games for me. I mean, he was just using <laughs> anything they could do, but... You know, I was getting like letters from a lot of people that really meant a lot to me to just like I didn't feel like I was super. I started to feel like I'm I'm working on something that's people are behind and this is a positive thing. And, you know, I got out of there and I was pretty, pretty focused on uh, getting, you know, like like having this work and 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 figuring it out. And I turned 18 there Um and came back to high school and came back into, okay, how am I going to... How do you navigate that? Yeah, it was, um, 
you know, I, I basically had to draw, you know, they, t- they talk about people, places and things. And for me, I was like, I need to just, I need to drop everyone. And, um, and I pretty much did, you know, I, I did, I just said like, I need to just separate from the crew that I was sort of hanging with. And, um, they told me to go to meetings. And so I did, and I, and I got a sponsor and I would just, I kind of went all in there. Um, but it was, it was, I mean, I look back now, it was, it was kind of crazy. Like I would, I couldn't drive for six months after I got, uh, after that hospital event. And so my mom would have to drive me to meetings and there was a lot of days where, I was like, I need two meetings a day. And so she would drive me to a meeting, a 6.30 a.m. meeting, which at that time felt so early. Are the meetings making you feel better? Yeah. So I'm I'm meeting people that, um, yes, they're helping. Like I'm meeting people that um, were, they could share their, they would share their stories and their stories were, were similar or worse than mine in my, in my mind. And, but and they were totally they're living a totally different life. They're happy, they're laughing. And by the way, that is camaraderie. Oh, 100%. I mean, that is camaraderie, right? You got this band of misfits, basically outlaws who can share those experiences of of the craziness and now now we're living on the other side with our jerseys with our party jerseys hanging in the rafters. It's like yeah. that's over with. Now here we are. Let's kick ass at life. And you have tour guides that can take you there. 100%. I mean, and they were all adults. Like I was 18 still. So I was a kid and they were, you know, but, every, but it's all first name. So I always felt like I was an equal to, to <laughs> I mean, I, I remember there was a teacher at my high school that was, that was in the rooms and, uh, and there were some friends, parents, you know, you know, not good friends, but there was kids I knew's parents that I'd be in a meeting with. And then I'd say, Hey Joe, Hey Bob, you know, whatever their names were. And, um, and so I, um, I had a, I had a sponsor, Mike B who was like, God, I mean, he was the best. Right. And so he was 22. I met him and he really took care of me. And, um, and I, I, I didn't, I really just was like, Hey, Hey, I went to him for everything. And, um, and he, I remember one time early, early sobriety, I'm, I'm senior. And it was a very, you know, I was a roller coaster that first year getting sober. I mean, as hard as the years before that were with, with my family, um, that was more, it was hard when I, cause I was just doing stuff, but, but the, the emotional ups and downs and outbursts, I was very, I, I was raw, man. I had a lot of emotions that I wasn't feeling for years for, before. Yeah. And, you know, pretty immature with some of those emotions. And so, um, but I remember that my parents said, you know, Hey, we want, you, need to, you need to take the trash out. And I'm like, I, you know, I got to call Mike. <laughs> Your response. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that's God's plan. And, uh, I call him. He's like, yeah, you should take the trash out. Pete. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. But you know, that the beautiful thing with that relationship was I was, um, I was willing to like, I knew my best thinking had like, Life went better when I was not operating on my own will and instinct. My instincts weren't that great. And so for me, the 12-step program was a way to uh, give me a blueprint for 
for how to process kind of my emotions. I, I, I never thought I was a fearful person, but I, I, I had come to learn I was very fearful. And, I, and a lot of the things that I did were out of fear of what could happen, what might happen, maybe how I felt about myself. And, um, and so Mike really helped me kind of through go through the 12 steps. He took me through the 12 steps. And, um, you know, there were some major moments where AA was really there for me. Um, my grandfather died in, in, in that first year. I was very emotional about that. One of the best stories is I was going to my, my senior prom and I was very scared about going to this prom. And uh, I called some some folks before. Uh, I mean, like literally I'm driving to pick up my date senior year and I'm, I'm crying. Corey. Yeah, I'm yeah. crying. I'm crying in the car by myself. Like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm scared. I stop off at an AA meeting. I'm in my tux. I go in and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the meeting and I'm crying. I'm like scared and, and maybe mourning that I can't do what everyone else is doing. And I, I don't know. I just, I didn't even know. I just knew I was, I was upset. And, uh, you know, they were, they like just super rallied around you and in the rooms and they were like, you know, you're going to do, you know, they were great. They took me next door to Wawa, these older women in AA, and they bought me, uh, they made me like a care package, um, <laughs> like candy. And they're like, you can't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And, and so I, um, I remember going to the, the prom and then, and I'm like, I feel like I'm getting hungry. And, and, and then I left, I, I left, it was like at the Bellevue hotel. I left and like went to the Palm and, and got like a steak and came back. It's downtown Philly. Yeah. I had, I had candy and like, I had like my little way of getting through it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I was going into the bathroom, hit going into a stall, hitting my knees and, and praying, say, God, please keep me sober. Keep me sober. Um, this was pre cell phone. So I didn't have a way to like do that part, but, um, but I was I got through it and um and and it was a lot of like should I even go what's what sort of you know I had to work that out with my sponsor and and um and then it was like high school was over you know I got my sponsor at my high school graduation <laughs> I got my sponsor you know college mar you know all these things but um you know it was it was like okay now I now I got another big hurdle which is how to stay sober through college well, and one of the ways you're staying sober through even high school is I, you took me to my first meeting. I came home. That's right. We yeah. were still in touch. In my head, I knew at some point I was going to have to pull the ripcord, but it was just too good. It was being too, it was too good to me at the time. You know, I wasn't that I hadn't bottomed out yet. But and, I was, su I remember being super worried about you because yeah. of your heart issue. Yes. I and, mean, and, and, and as well, you should have been as well. Everybody else was. And, yeah. and you took me to a meeting at Narbeth midday it was Natalie, Mike, you and me. And uh, yeah, that was like, so anyways, you were that. helping people. You, that's how you're doing it. Yeah. Well, you get, I mean, you get, you, well, the cool thing about AA when you learn about it is like literally before that, before, you know, whatever, 1930 or so when it started, it was, if you had a problem, they couldn't really help you. And then two alcoholics got together and realized that when we're sitting across from each other, I can see really clearly you and what and, and how crazy what you're doing is and and sort of see the path for you but i can't see it for me and you can see it for me and when i help you i get a i get a lot clearer about 
what I should and shouldn't do. And, you know, that's how this whole thing, you know, all of a sudden all these medical professionals were trying to solve it. And it's like the thing that works the best is when they work together. And, and, and then there's, you know, there's a big, there's a big spiritual aspect to it. And I was very apprehensive about, about that because I did not, I went, I grew up going to Catholic school. I did not believe what I was being told. I just didn't believe it. And uh, so I was not a, uh, you know, I was very skeptical about all sorts of different nuances of, I mean, I love the ethos and the culture of Catholicism and, and, and that community, that sense of community. I mean, the high school I went to, I remember Christmas morning, uh, I had been sober for maybe whatever, 35 days. I got sober October 23rd, 1995. Um, I, I had three teachers from that school call me Christmas Eve morning to say, hey, I'm just thinking about you and everything you've been through. And like, that's amazing. That was amazing. I've got such love for that, for, for, for that high school, um, Malvern Prep. They, they were like so amazing to me. And uh, when I went through this really tough time. And so, um, but I... Um, so you get to college, but, but, but yeah, but I get to college and I was, um, you go to Villanova. Yeah. I go to Villanova. It was kind of a, um, you know, I was going to go, I was going to go away. And then I, I, I went on a recruiting trip to Denver, uh, to play lacrosse. And I was like, I can't go. Like, I, I, I can't be away from, from my net, from my AA network. Right. Like I was super fragile, but yeah, I go, I go to college and, um, I'm uh, struggling at college the first semester. I'm living at home, um, right out, right across from campus, um, and you know, meeting people. It's, the whole thing's really challenging. And there was a priest, Father McGuire, who who you knew very well, mm-hmm. who uh, who said, uh, I, you know, I'd be like, I don't like this. Isn't I'm not having fun. I don't know any. It's really hard to like meet guys when you're. Uh, day student meet buddies you're a day student and you don't drink <laughs> like it's not a uh like I, I felt like if i had this super if i could use my superpower which at that time i would have said my superpower is i can drink and be social which is totally misguided because i was it was bad for me but uh but i knew it would have helped me really be social and i i really like the image i had was like like in in Superman, where where he loses his superpowers and he and he sort of goes into situations which used to be fine, and he kind of gets his ass kicked. He does. That's how I felt going to going to a frat party. Like, you know, I'm just like the sober dude. Like, most people thought I never drank. They're like, yeah, oh, you should try drinking. I'm like, yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> and so, really, what changed for me in college was this priest suggests he's like, "Why don't you, why don't you, uh, why don't you walk on a lacrosse team?" And uh, I went to go talk to the coach, and I had already missed the fall ball tryouts. And and um, I go talk to the coach. I tell him my deal, and he was he was super. He, you know, he had someone in his family that had gotten so, or may, maybe needed to get sober or got sober. I don't know. But he was super, um, he's like, I'll give you a shot, but you know, you gotta, whatever. So I, I ended up, I ended up, uh, he's like, you need to, you need to displace someone on the team. Cause I've already had the team. 
and you start working out. I was so out of shape. And a guy from AA actually said, hey, man, I'll train you. Tony. Yeah, this guy, Tony. And so for like four months, he would meet me at 7 a.m. every Saturday and Sunday and and just work the shit out of me. Um, And I just, I had never been in shape all through high school. I mean, with all the drinking and drugs and whatever, I was just totally, I was the guy that the coaches were like, you could be all state if you just got in shape. And, um, and he gets me dialed in and I, I, I make the team and, and it was so important for me to have sort of an anchor at college and being sober. And, and the, and the team was, I was super open about it. And my strategy there was like, I just wanted to like build insurance that I wouldn't drink. And if they knew my deal, and so they were they were great, and I, I have great memories of that experience. I remember being um, like you know freshman. They they do like some like hazing stuff. They're pouring booze on you and whatever. And they had jugs of water. They were pouring on me, and, and they were they were really cool about it. And um, and so I, I went to college. I was very my my rule was I'm going to be more active in my AA group than in, with college at, at all times. It was really the goal. And I also, you know, they have a saying in, in, in the rooms, you know, you sit in a barber chair long enough, you're going to get a haircut. And so, you know, my thing was like, well, I can't just completely avoid being social in college. Like that's not really an option, but, um, but I can't also just roll and, and act like, like I can't just be a college kid and not drink. Like that's not going to. Um, I'm I'm going to need to do something different. I'm going to need to work at it. And so, my thing was like I always wanted the option to be able to go out on the weekend and you know meet girls and hang out and 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 sort of do that. And um, and so the goal was like, all right, I got I can only do that if I'm on a good spiritual ground. Like yeah. If I'm in a bad headspace, I can't put myself in that situation. And that's the beauty of sobriety, right? You mentioned Superman with no powers. A spiritually fit dude is kind of like Superman, a yeah. sober person. I mean, yeah. you met your wife in college. I did, yeah. Yeah, I met her at a, we f- at a Christmas in the Caribbean party. We filled the, the basement at the Lax house with sand. And uh, I had never met her, so I met her. Yeah, she. we were the same year, and, and is senior year, we I met her, which really made made college worth it. Um, but college was not, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a bit of a challenge. I had to kind of go to the beat of my own drum. I ended up, I ended up leaving full time as a, as a uh, sophomore or junior. I mean, and, um, I started a business and North American air care. Yes. yes. <laughs> I remember I, dude. And that's, you know, from a view in the cheap seats, we probably, we got probably like 25 minutes left. Oh, all right. All right. Um, so we might can get out of here, go on with this day, Sorry. but this is awesome. Um, you know, a view from the cheap seats is, you know, you were a shining, I, I don't want to miss out on an opportunity to talk about the fact that you are a shining example to a guy like me that like, I got to keep this sobriety thing in my back pocket because it is clearly working for this dude. I mean, you're in college, you're playing sports, you're meeting your wife, you're starting up a business. This is college. I yeah. mean, and and you're and you're still cool to be around. I mean, I I kept in touch with you. Like I didn't, yeah, you know, we didn't, we, com- we never completely lost touch. No. And uh, that was because I knew that I at some point, I I, I knew in my, the back of my mind, I'm going to have to go this route, you know. And and so all the stuff you're doing, 
is uh, a real shining example. And that's how AA works, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you really stopped. Like there was a point in time early on where you were kind of pitching it to us, you know, like guys you were really close with. Like you're an alcoholic too. Don't you know that? <laughs> and I didn't want to hear that. You learn pretty quick that yeah. no one wants to hear that. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's promotion by attraction, you know? And so, but go ahead. I mean, that's just, you're helping people without even trying because, and that's how the program works. I'm like, this guy is on to something here. Definitely. Yeah, it's funny, you know. Yeah, you say that from the cheap seats, you know. There, there, but there, but the way it felt at the time, I mean, it felt it felt like a lot better. I mean, I felt like I, I was, my life was definitely improving, but it did not feel like. Um, I mean, it felt like I was weird and odd at, at at a lot of the time, you know. I mean, I was I was. Like I had to do my own deal. How do you think I felt? I'm still drinking four beers before I call a girl. You know, like, and I, I mean, so like, and that's that's yeah, and maybe that's, and maybe everyone really feels that way. That's the conundrum at you that know? time, yeah. right? You know, no matter. I mean, I was a very pop. You know, if, if you went back, I think most people would say I was a very popular kid in high school. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel. I felt I felt pretty alone at, at a lot of that, you know. And so, I mean, I think everyone has just growing up and being human beings like we have all these sort of emotions and feelings and and um you never really know what someone is is feeling uh that's what's one of the cool things about when you're when you sort of spend a lot of time in in a 12-step program you you know people share about how they're feeling and you kind of know everyone's got something going on kind of at all times i mean just that is the human condition in life and so uh, yeah, the way I stayed sober was just really heavy in the the, you know, AA was just super part of me. I mean, it was the most important thing at all times. Um, sponsoring people, I got a you know service. I, I mean, I did I did some speaking at high schools when I was in college, and and that felt good. And um, I, I think kind of the thing was like I just tried to make sure that I was running hard towards growing as a person in AA, like spiritually, just feeling good, feeling good in my own skin at the end of the day. I mean, what I loved about alcohol was I could put it in me and it'd make me feel good about me. It made me feel good about my life. And like, what's, it was like, it was like puzzle pieces of my life. And before a drink, I, I felt like shit was not looking good. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and, and I'll, you know, externally, like things were fine. And I was, you know, with, with alcohol, it helped me like rearrange the puzzle pieces. And then I'd all of a sudden feel really good about everything and I could calm down and then a bunch of bad shit would happen. Well, you come in and you start working the steps and it's like, you, you get a relationship with, for me, I got a relationship with a higher power that really helped me do all the things that alcohol did, but did it for real and did it in a way that was sustaining and that, that, that. Um, I could help other people. I never helped anyone when I was yeah. when I was you know doing that, and so that's a that's a that's an amazing thing. And to be able to like whatever, just share what 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 guys in in the room shared with me with other people that are trying to get sober. And I've had a I've had a chance. You know this this October was this past October was twenty five years sober, which was sort of mind blowing and. Um, you know, just like super grateful for, for the role that, that, I mean, I've been a part of a lot of cool groups and organizations and, and nothing compares to 
you know, the, the, the people in, in AA for me like that, those, that's my tribe. Those are my people. Um, and, and they make me a better person. And, you know, my wife never has never known me to drink. I've got three kids. They've never known me to drink, but, um, my wife knows when I need a meeting, you know, (laughs) she, so she can, she can sense that. Like I just get, you know, a little, a little edgy and, and just a little difficult. And, um, you know, so it's just been, it's been the most amazing thing. And, and then I've been able to be, you know, be out there and, you know, I'm good at, I'm good at certain events, like, like weddings or other stuff like that. Like sometimes people be like, that guy's hammered and, you know, I'm not. Right. And, and so people that know me are like, no, it's, you're a fun guy. Yeah. Just having fun. And, and I think in college in particular, those are hard years, right? Like everyone is drinking, you know, maybe arguably alcoholically and they're not all alcoholics. Right. So they, they kind of typically grow out of it, hopefully. And, um, and so to be able to, you know, I mean, there were a lot of times where I'm like, you know, if nothing else, like I want to be an example that you can have fun. And if, if there are any people here that, that have a problem someday, at least they'll have an example of like, I knew a guy that was sober and that, that did get me through. Dude, you helped so many. I mean, you, you, you know, I called you in 2002. I had my first like major breakdown. Um, and, and you were there, you were at my house taking a meeting uh, to a meeting yeah. the next day. And I can't tell you how many like hell Mary phone calls I made to you. Oh. You know, you took me to Karen one time. I mean, how, how magical is this? You take me to Karen to see, um, somebody, you know, get their one year chip or, or no, get a chip, I think, or, or they were there. there. They we were, were there. Visiting. So you, we go to visit a guy that was there. Okay. You, you were so hoping I was taking you to stay. <laughs> Cause you I was like, getting ready. Yeah, on the I was way home, ready. you're like, dude, I really thought you were going to leave me there. I'm like, I didn't know you wanted to go. It was, <laughs> it was a year before I got sober. And, and uh, so anyways, that guy is there. A year later, I asked that guy to be my temporary sponsor when I can't stop drinking. Oh. And he tells me, you need to go to Karen. And a week later, I'm there. I mean, that's kind of how it just all threads together. If I don't know him through you, maybe I don't ask him to be my temporary sponsor. And maybe he doesn't tell me. Yeah. To, I mean, it's just, and maybe I'm still out there like... So much stuff. And you just, you never gave up on me. You never gave up on a lot of our friends. And well, it's not even giving up. It's just like, hey, man, I didn't, you know, I don't, I, the view is like, I don't really know. I mean, with you, I was kind of like, I think you probably got a problem, <laughs> right? Like, but, yeah. but I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I know that, you know, maybe your life would be better. So the, I never felt like I was, um, you know, judging or giving up or not giving up. It's like, Hey man, like there's a plan. And, and if I can be helpful, great. Um, it helps me to help you even if you don't take it and it doesn't stick. Um, and, uh, you know, you try to really early on look at, at, at ways to, um, you know, not get too tied into the success of someone coming in. Right. Like you never know if you're just helping plant the seed or if they're going to get it. And I'm just super grateful I got it. But it's been, I, I will say, it's been so fun for me. Over Like, how much time do you have now? Uh, nine, nine and a half years. Yeah, so, like, I feel like you were maybe one of the first of, like, my my buddies that, that kind of came in. Um, but now there's a couple of us. Yeah. And, and just to see, you know, to be able to sort of, I mean, because there was a lot of years where I just felt like I was, 
you know, I mean, I had a ton of buddies in the program, but buddies that I had partied with before. Mm -hmm. And then, and then after it was, um, yeah, it's just super fun to be able to connect with, with guys that I grew up with in this, in this area, because I'm not, you know, I'm not the person that I was before. Right. And, and none of us are right. Like we're, we are fundamentally different people. Like we'll talk about all sorts of stuff. And, um, and so that's been super awesome to see you and Murph, who you had on the the, pro, yeah, uh-huh. the program here, yeah. and there's a couple other dudes. Yeah. So we have that meeting that we do, and and I feel like half the guys are are guys that I met when I got sober in high school. So my, I've my brother him. Mike is in that meeting. You got sober before him. I mean, this is a, just a throwaway story with your whole. He went and got you out of jail. Down, did, down yeah. the Jersey Shore. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, that's, and now you guys are in a meeting together. He certainly wasn't sober then, but like, because he's about four four years older than us. But like, that's kind of just it all. It, like, like that's the puzzle, right? On the other side, kind of coming together. It's amazing. Yeah, dude. It, it, it comes together, and like, you know, no one show. You know, there's that saying: you don't show up to. Uh, I think your brother said it to to someone else. Uh, you don't show up here in a in a limo. Yeah. You, know, you don't show up to AA or a twelve step program in a limo, right? Yeah. Like things are going awesome, right? Yeah. And then you just see that it's a you know it takes some time that first year, but your your life gets better really quickly. And to see people's lives get better is just it's just awesome. Like you wouldn't bet against some. I would never bet against someone who's going to stick around. Yeah. What do you tell your kids? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. So I I, I have told my older two that I am a, a recovering alcoholic and I'm sober. Um, I haven't told, you know, there's some other parts of my story that I didn't share that I, just because I don't know if they're going to get a hold of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to be I want to be very sensitive when I when I kind of give them the full story of how bad things really were for me. Um and how I felt, uh, super, you know, I get, I get nervous about my kids. This is a hereditary thing, you know, can be at least. So I try to, um, I try to impart on them some basic. I mean, but they know you're an AA. They know you're sober. My, my older two do. My youngest is, he doesn't, he doesn't know. Uh, he, I don't think he knows that. Uh, I'm pretty sure he does. I mean, I remember calling you one Christmas telling you I had all this trouble going on. I'm like four years sober. And uh, after I tell you, like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're on speaker with Ryder. Ryder, Pete's not trusting God right now. <laughs> I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? Well, that was fun. That's actually, yeah. that that was the spawn of me telling him. Yeah. And it was kind of a funny story. But we probably don't have time to get into that. Yeah. But I did tell my kids. Um, and, you know, what I try to do is, you know, there's, there's certain things you learn in AA, like, uh, that I try to pass on to my kids. So here's some examples. Um you know, when you are resentful at someone, you're learn you learn to what? Pray for them. Pray for the person, right? And so <clears throat> I remember being at be my daughter having some issue at school when she was really little. And I'm like, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna say a prayer for that girl who's being mean to you. For her to have all the good things you want. And she looks at me like, Are you kidding me? I she's like, I want the good things. And I'm like, and so what I've tried to do is is just parent in a way that teaches some of those principles that I know to be true, that I know to work. And, you know, and that, you know, God forbid, if anything happened to me and I wasn't there to be able to, and they needed to go to a meeting and take them, 
you know, I want them to know what's what, right? And so you you learn certain things. Like I learned, my sponsor told me early on, like, hey, dude, you're going to hit your knee, whether you believe in God or not, you're going to hit your knees every morning and night. You're going to ask them to help keep you sober and help you to be of maximum service to others today. And then you're going to thank them. And so, you know, my kids have seen me hit my knees I, and I'm saying, hey, come here, hit, you know, let's let's shoot up a prayer. And so, you know, I try to teach some of the things that I learned that um, hopefully make them a better person. And the best thing that I've learned is, you know, what you what what the cool thing about the program is you don't tell, you know, you don't tell people what to do. You just share, hey, this has been my experience. And I find that very helpful with my kids to say, hey, I'm not sure how you're feeling right now, but when I was your age and something like this happened, this is how I feel I felt. And my, especially my son, Ryder, he, he kind of gets choked up when I do it. He's like, I, that's how I feel, dad. And, and to be able to just have real open conversations with kids, like I didn't, I mean, I, I kind of had stuff like that with my parents, but it, it wasn't, I remember my dad coming up and when I was, he could tell I was going off, like I was depressed and he gives me, he gives me a Brian Tracy cassette tape pack, like a motivational thing. And he says, you know, why don't you start listening? I'm I'm like 15 years old. He's like, why don't you start listening to this to help get your head in the right space? And he said, you know, he's like, I heard that like alcoholics have to look in the mirror every day and say, you know, my name's Pete and I'm an, you know, like whatever, I'm an alcoholic to remind themselves. And, and that, that, that was a throwaway comment he made. I remember two weeks later being in front of the mirror saying, my name's Pete and I am not an alcoholic. Like, like that's what I took away from that. And so, you know, I hope that I can be, I hope that I can, uh, I mean, I certainly don't do it. You know, I got a lot of, I'm sure I would do a lot of things different as a parent and, you know, you know, always question what you do, but you know, I try to be, I try to be probably more open than not about what I did. Um, you know, try not to highlight the drugs, try to be very clear, like the pills off limits. And it's hard today. Like now weed's legal. Yeah. So it's not like I'm like, you can never, and I don't really view a difference between alcohol and marijuana to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, I'm not an anti-alcohol guy or anti, like if, if that works for you, yeah. go for it. Right. I'm pretty much anti heroin. <laughs> I'm pretty much anti <laughs> painkillers. Yeah. Like I'm anti that in all situations. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but but other things you know like yeah. yeah like for the right person like that's yeah i don't have i don't have an opinion on that but i do worry about my kids and and so i just hope to be a good example and and hopefully you know hopefully you know it won't um it won't come to them because it's a hard i get you know parents will ask me sometimes they have a kid who's struggling what do i do and i'm like you know there's some things to do for sure getting help but you know why one person gets it on the first try like there's nothing special about me i wasn't more disciplined or had better willpower than you mm. who who maybe came in a couple times i got it the first time hell i could be in a situation in 5 years from now where you're 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 trying to help me you know get sober again yeah. and and i just i don't ever want to i don't want to let my first defense down a couple more things i want to hit before we're out here one, you know, Cliff Notes version of, of, of how your sobriety helped you through. Your, you know, you mentioned your dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a guy. He was a figure in my life. And, 
you know, he was a guy that meant everything to you. He, he eventually does die from cancer. Yeah. How do you use sobriety to guide you through that? Yeah, that was so, yeah. Yeah. So in, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than 10 years ago, he got cancer again and about 30 years from when he originally got it. And they, and they said, Hey, look, it's, Basically, it was, I think, as a result of the treatment he got in the 70s, they had told him then, hey, what we're giving you now is going to end up causing cancer, like the radiation. And it came back. And uh, and they're like, we can't, tr- we, you know, basically, you can't, your body can't take any more um, radiation or chemo. So you're going to die. And, and, and it was a you know, whatever, six months, you know, he kind of called and said, we had a conference call as a family and he's like, they gave me six months to live. How, how many years do you have at this time? Um, oh, a lot. Like I, I was 10, I think it was 10 years ago. So I had 25. So okay. like, I was probably like 12, 15 years sober. And so he, um, you know, so, so what we did was like the, the program, um, and someone said to me who had lost a brother, uh, the, the, the guy who was your temporary sponsor had lost a brother of his. And he, um, he just said like, Hey man, if you handle this the right way, this could be one of them. This will be one of the most meaningful life experiences. And, and so for, for us, what that looked like was I was able to, to sort of use what I learned in a, like get some resources around my dad, um, father, Rob, uh, the Villanova hoops priest was really great through that for us. My dad was struggling with his own, you know, his own like uh, spirituality, like like you do when you're dying. And and we just we were super open. We I'd taught, hey, how are you feeling about it? Are you are you scared? Um, what are you thinking about God? Like we had some real direct conversations about about it for, and it was about three. You know, he had kind of three months. It, it really it was like May. I think he told us in May, and he died September. And, um, and so we, we shared about how he's feeling, you know, I'd sent out some emails to family, friends. He was really overwhelmed by the support he got from people, like kind of people coming over and just saying how much they cared about him. He kind of, he, he was like, I didn't think this many people, you know, really I impacted this many people and, and it all culminated on, you know, when he, he did finally pass away. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, a bit of a relief, a bit of, I mean, you know, your, your dad had passed away. Yeah, more you helped me through that with your experience. But, um, you know, people, people helped me in AA that had been through it. Like you learn in AA, like I got to go find people that have been through this experience and I got to seek counsel and I got to make the most of the situation and I got to bring God into the situation and I got to lean in and not, you know, I mean, it's okay to be afraid, but, but I need to, um, I need to move past that and believe that there's there's actually a, a beautiful experience to happen if I really lean in. And for, for me, where that culminated was um, at his eulogy. And I gave, I gave the, my sister and I gave the eulogy uh, along with his doctor and we did, we did our own. And, you know, I, I really shared about the role that my dad played in getting me um, turning my life around and how, how bad things were and then how good they were. And, you know, I was able to, I mean, my dad was, was my best friend, um, really from the point of that I got sober. Um, and he, he kind of thought I was, you know, in many ways he looked up to me and, and, and that was, we kind of had like a, 
a little bit of a, I'd say in some ways the roles were reversed a bit and, um, and in other ways, not at all where I, I was clearly looking up to him, but um, he was a great dad. He was just, you know, because of him having cancer early on, he was always about just family and being with, with us. And, um, and so I, I try to be more like that where I can be a little more caught up in things. And he was much more of just enjoy every moment of life, but, you know, to be able to, to, I, I think we handled that. He taught us how to die. And that's what I said. I'm like, dad, your job right now, like you're, te- you're showing us how to die, which is pretty intense to say, but he did. He, he taught us. And, and, and I'm like, let's just, let's try to make the most of the situation and, and let's share this with other people. Maybe it'll help other people go through this. And he was all, all on board with that. And, and um, yeah, so that was, that was that. What about business? How is it, you know, you've become an extremely successful in your field, your line of work. How have you applied it? You've, you've moved, made some major moves in your life. How have you used sobriety to help you professionally? You know, I, I think that, um, well, if I wasn't sober, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have had any, any success. Right. So I've had, I've had the ability to have some really cool, uh, career experiences uh, investing and, and as a entrepreneur and, and run, I run a software company now that focuses specifically on the mental health industry. And, and I was drawn to that because I thought it would be really cool to, um, to, provide some innovation and do, do stuff for a space that's helping people. And so that's been neat for me that, you know, so it, it kind of drew me a little bit to a path, but I think where it's, he- where it, where it plays in is just, um, you know, my, my emotional IQ. I think I have high emotional IQ as a result of doing step work and reflecting, having to go through a lot of things. And so um, I'd say um, it's, I'm pretty good at looking across the table from an employee that might be struggling with something and, and kind of really quickly tapping into the emotion that's going on and then saying, all right, we don't we, like, let's not be afraid here. Let's get a game plan and move and move forward without, without being afraid. Just because I've, there was a lot of times in life where I was afraid and, 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 uh, and that's probably the biggest thing that I learned is, um, is, uh, is just, I don't need to, you know, I need to act and I need to act as if good things are going to happen. And, um, no matter what, like I've been fine, like not everything has worked out. Right. Um, but, uh, so that's where I think it's, it's helped from, you know, in, in terms of being a leader of an organization and being able to be authentic and, and, um, hopefully, you know, I look at running a business as a way to, as like a platform to be able to impact your a sphere of people you interact with and that's really fun and cool and grateful for that experience anything else no man but this is well, i just want to say thanks this was super fun to be yeah. able to come in person see you in the studio as i'm driving you know i'm driving across country from yeah. phoenix with my son and dog uh to philly and this was a little out of the way but i was super i was like we got to do it yeah. and uh and so uh, this was fun, man. I really love what you're doing with this podcast, and and it's it's super meaningful to have this conversation well, with someone that's like was there for the well, I, dude. I mean, if it's if if not for you, I probably am not sitting here. I yeah. mean, so you know, you have the utmost of gratitude and love coming from me. I mean, that's you were a way out f- for me early on, oh. and got me 
interested in the other side. I always knew because of you, I had a place to go. I had somebody to call and it took me a little while to find a place in that place. But I mean, holy shit, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't believe my life today. You know, even this morning, um, just having you here, I was like, man, I'm just real grateful for this. So, yeah, I'd say for anyone listening that like maybe is listening because they're, they're, uh, they're, they can relate, you know, if they could relate to, to, to even a little bit of what was shared and they're, and they're thinking about their drinking or, you know, the role that drinking and drugs is playing in their life that, um, you know, go check out a meeting because, um, I can assure you that, uh, it only gets worse if you have a, if you have a drug and alcohol problem, if you're thinking a lot about it, that's probably a good sign that you, you might have a problem. And, um, that just to know that it get there, there's, it's, it's beyond, uh, there's a guy, Bob Cleary used to say, uh, my life's so good. I'm embarrassed to talk about it. And, and there's a saying we have is like, hold on before the miracle happens or, or it's beyond your wildest dreams. And, I'd say, and I'm sure it is for you, like it is, it is for sure beyond my wildest dreams. And it is, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place to go. I'm so grateful. If I could take a, if I could take a pill or have a surgery and not be an alcoholic and just have to walk away, I wouldn't from, from like AA, like it's, it's such a meaningful part of my life. And I'm so grateful. I'd love, I, I, if I could guarantee that my kids would get sober, I would, I'd say make them an alcoholic, <laughs> and and so they could have this program, yeah, right? Sure. It, 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 it's just a, it's it's such a unique, beautiful thing. And if you have a problem, you get to d- take advantage of that. I, I wish sometimes there was something like this for everyone, yeah, because it's a it's a it's a fucking awesome thing, and I'm grateful for it. So, thanks for uh, yeah. thanks for having me in studio. Yeah, Pete, it's great. Hey, Mike, thank you too, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.